Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today is from Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It can be found on page 729 on your pew Bible. But first, let's pray. Father, we have much to be thankful for. The rain you sent last night, the other earthly blessings you have given us, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and of your Word. Use your Word to transform us today. In your Son's precious name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you, Carol. Good morning. We continue our look at the changed life of Paul in the book of Acts. Acts, if you know that he has been converted as he was an assassin, a hitman, basically for uh, the Hellenistic Jews, and on his way to Damascus with a list of people to arrest and kill, he met Jesus. Jesus met him, and this is the changed Paul. He spent about three years uh, being mentored with Ananias and some Christians there, and he decided it's time to go home, time to go back to Jesus. He left as an assassin. He comes back a traitor to the Jews, a traitor. It's like uh, Hitler going over to Patton. It's like Stonewall Jackson joining uh, Ulysses Grant, and he goes back to the disciples, and here's what happens. It says this in Acts 9, starting verse 26, 26 through 31. This is Paul's great homecoming. It's a time of homecoming right now, and here's Paul's homecoming. Not quite like most would expect. This is what Luke tells us, the doctor says in the book of Acts. 926. 
And when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus Paul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he, Paul, went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, his hometown. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that church multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You ever just been out of place, just kind of wrong place, wrong time, just, just kind of somewhere you shouldn't be like this poor cat right here, uh, walking down the sidewalk, this is kind of out of place, we have that. <laughs> or how about the skydiver who kind of picked the wrong place to land? Those are alligators. <laughs> Or how about this family picture where one kid's just having a little trouble adjusting to the rest of the family? <laughs> just ever been out of place, just don't quite fit in. Uh, it's football season, the big game, uh, Friday night, Tesco's Emerald High. But when I was in middle school playing for Crockett and football, I was on a, had a big game and I was playing somebody fan or someone. I was uh, playing defense and I was a skinny linebacker and I had head on just like you're not supposed to with a... This tailback coming through the line, the offense, and kind of knocked us both silly, rung our bell, and I got up and I walked back to what I thought was the defensive huddle, and I'm looking down the feet of the guys, waiting for the defensive play, and it's dead silence. I look up and I'm in the offensive huddle, I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> and they didn't tell me the play, so they kind of had to walk over. It was more of that, just out of place. Well, boy, Paul is really out of place here. You talk about being out of place. He was the hitman. He was the assassin. He had been the one that had held the cloaks when Stephen uh, was, was being stoned. And he was leaving Jerusalem on the way to Damascus with a list, a hit list of Christians to arrest and to have killed and to martyr. And then he met Christ. And Christ said, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, because he didn't know the name of Jesus, said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. And there comes a conversion, the life changing of the, one of the most powerful, impacting men in the history of the world who we read most of the Bible is in. He, he literally took the, we, we're here because of Paul. What happened? A man being so out of place, he goes back home and he's so out of place. The, the, the Christians are afraid of him. He's going to meet with, with John and Peter in the church and wants to be a part of that. And they'll have nothing to do with it. Of course, now the hellness, the Jews want to kill him because he's, he's turned traitor. And what happens? He becomes the most powerful leader in that church. And it's because of the name of Jesus. Three things happen here that help me, that can help us about the kind of a church we are, the kind of a believer I am. I see three things happen here uh, because of the name of Jesus that, that we need to model, or I need to model. What happens when we proclaim the name of Jesus? Well, the first thing that happens is the name of Jesus brings us together. It unifies us. It throws about every barrier, every racial barrier, ethnic barrier, gender barrier, political barrier, country barrier. It unifies us across the board in the name of Jesus. If you've grown up in Amarillo, you know the lifelong tradition about Amarillo High and Tascosa High and the big game and Hell Week. And for years, I had to hide my car. If I lived in Wolfland, they had kids would egg it. You couldn't drive by Austin Park without getting attacked or 
things thrown. Kids vandalized each other's schools. It became a national incident that was worldwide known because of such a great rivalry. And sad, years ago, one student ran over another student and killed him. And it was a, it was a rivalry. Well, we, we had that game again this week, and, and this was a great thing. Instead of Hell Week, we decided at a and we're going to have Swell Week. We're just going to make it a Swell Week. And we, after the game, we all went to the game and kind of hung out on both sides. But after the game, we invited kids over to the A&O house. Tascosa, Crockett Caprock, uh, Paladura, Emerald High Tascosa. And those kids that were standing there screaming across, we got spirit, yes we do, all that during the game. And gold glitter and red glitter. Well, about 60 of them came over to the A&O house. And they just didn't care about their glitter or the football game. They played ball together. They sang karaoke together. They hugged one another. And that, that's what the name of Jesus does. It unifies us. It doesn't divide us. It rises above ra- rivalries and long-term hate. It unifies us. In a day when it's all about these lives matter and that lives matter and these people are fighting with these people and 15 TV screen people are shouting and screaming at each other and these protesters are protesting. These pro- and this, the world is so divided more than ever. Christ calls us on his name to come together as believers in Christ that he is the name of all names that wipes out any differences. Guess who does that in this? Barnabas does it. The Jews won't talk to Paul. The Christians won't talk to him. Barnabas takes his brother Paul and says, this man is my brother. He's met Jesus, you can tell. He, is, he preaches the name of Christ. He belongs part of the family. And they take him in and it begins to shake the world so much that it ends up changing the Roman Empire where no army could. Because Barnabas unites them. I saw somebody being a Barnabas last week and my sister-in-law teaches a book uh, 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 class on the Revelation on Wednesday nights and there's our kind of our gang there and this family who came here from Albuquerque with all their kids to find a school district that they liked and they came here and they have a Catholic background and this is the first church they thought they'd visit on Wednesday and they come back into the parlor where Murray had guided them they're sitting up front of the table by themselves just kind of you know and all of a sudden here's Barnabas and they, are, they feel so out of place Ethnically, religiously, geographically, they don't know Amarillo. This is a church downtown full of white folks, and they're sitting over there. And Jenny Coley, little Jenny gets up and walks over there and takes her book and sits down and says, How are you doing? Tell me your, tell me your story. We're so glad you're here. Tell me your kid's story. The kids go over to A&O, and they don't know anybody, and those wonderful high school kids just welcome them in. In the name of Christ, people find that... It doesn't matter where you're from, what color your skin is. Under Jesus, we have unity. Are we that kind of church? Are you that kind of person? Am I that kind of person? Several years ago, we began having a men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings at Calico County. Me and just, we call it Mog, Men of God. It's just <clears throat> gap kids, uh, the kids that graduate from high school, they're here going to school or young adults. And we start meeting at Calico and studying the Bible. And there's this young man that worked there, hard worker. He'd be carrying his bus tray by, he'd be working, he'd be serving, and he's just working hard. But whenever he had a break, he'd stop by and go, hey, what are y'all reading? Oh, we're studying the book of Philippians. What, do you, what, what about it? And we'd tell him, hey, man, you guys pray for me. Pray for this, and Jesus is, is doing this in my life. And then he kept coming by, and then finally Dick Dole gave him one of our Bibles, and then another guy gave him the study we were doing. And pretty soon, um, he got another job, but he started coming and joining our Bible study. And then he and his dad came and got part ball with the, the gap group and they said we want to join this church and we want to be a part of that and you say that's not that big a deal but but it was 
It was like going across whole countries for him because he's different from us. Harold, where's my brother? Stand up. You can tell Harold, Harold's different from me. I mean, just look at him. He's different. He's skinny and young, and I'm not. But Harold came and joined this church with his dad. We did his grandfather's funeral in this church because he doesn't care what the social norms are. He doesn't care about the barriers. He said, I'm here because these people love Jesus. That's a brave thing. Way to go. What about us? Christ says that in John 17, he says, here's the one thing. Before I'm crucified, when he's in the garden about to be murdered by these same Jews, here's what he says. He prays. He says, Lord, I pray for them, the 12, and then I pray for those that will believe because of them, and that's us. Do you know what his prayer for us is? He doesn't pray that we memorize the Bible. That's a good thing. He doesn't pray that we'd have big churches. He doesn't pray that we would have good theology, though we should. He prays that we would be one, unified, that we would go across every barrier and every life would matter, and that we would be one in Christ, and that would change the world. When people see us throwing our boundaries and our divisions away, in a world that's screaming and yelling and beating each other up because of just different political thoughts, Christ, the name of Jesus, will bring us together. He will bring us together. He says, by this men will know that you love, that, that, that I am alive. By, by this all men will know by how you love one another. Isn't it time that we stop tearing statues down and ripping names off and lift up the name of Jesus Christ and shout out his name? That will take care of the other issues. Are you a Barnabas? Am I being a Barnabas? Am I bringing people together? Are we a church that unifies and doesn't divide? You know the second thing I see happening here? Not only does the name of Jesus bring unity among brothers, but guess what? It sounds kind of contradictory. Guess what else happens when we claim the name of Jesus? It divides. It separates. It causes division. It makes people uncomfortable. Tim Keller says you can either love Jesus or you can hate Jesus. You cannot be nonchalant. You cannot just say Jesus. He will either make you uh, a saint or you will be so far from him you can't be saved. But there's no in between. You can't stand in the middle. Jesus will either rally people or he will turn people away. Because he says there's no middle ground. You you cannot sit at the table with Buddha or with Muhammad or with Allah or with anybody. Jesus says, I alone am the way to God. And that divides people. Are we... Are we being separate? Are we able to love and yet be different? We just had our, we talked about had our <clears throat> swell night after the game. All these test coast Emerald High kids. And one young lady who's a member of our church and she's been involved in our program all the way through Vacation Bible School, A&O. And she came a little late, had her glitter on and everything. And I said, Where are you? you're kind of late. She goes, yeah, I had a little problem. I said, what's that? She said, well, I went to, went to the game with a bunch of my friends and we had a great time. And the game's over, we're in the car and they're like, where do y'all want to go? And they said, well, there's a party over here. Their parents are gone. There's a party over here. Their parents buy let, let us drink. There's, there's a guy over here with a fake ID. There's some stuff happening over here at this house nobody's at. And she said, well, I have an idea. Why don't we go to the A&O house? It's fun. They're having, there's music. There's karaoke. And they laughed at her. Church on Friday night? What is wrong with you? And she said, nothing. I'm going over there. She said, it's more fun than you can imagine. Drop me off at my car. She made a difference. She said, I'm going to be different. It divides people. She said, instead of going there and getting drunk, I'm going over here. Another one of our young ladies didn't go to the house. She said, I'm going to stay with these friends and try to, try to do my best. And 
They start drinking and she <laughs> comes home and she's got, she smells like beer and her parents are a little alarmed and said, honey, where did you, did you go to the A&O thing? No. I went with my friends because I had to drive them home and take care of them when they were passed out. They spilled, the, one of them threw up on me. See, she's being different. Are we being different? When our high school kids are standing up for the Lord, has it costing you anything to follow Jesus? Is it costing you friendship? Is it costing you money? Is it costing us status? Is it costing us family members? Jesus says this. He said, this is a, one of the most challenging verses, I think, and challenging quotes of scripture. Jesus says this in Luke 12, 51. Do you think I came to give you peace on earth? No. You can almost hear him laughing. Peace? Ha! No. I came to tell you, brother, I bring a sword. I bring division. From now on, one person in your house will be five against you, divided. Three against two. Two against three. They will be divided. Father against son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother. It's like a Jerry Springer show. It's like it's going to get messy. If you're going to stand for Jesus and the name of Jesus, it will cost you something. It will cost those high school kids who refuse to not pray in the middle of the football field after the game, even though they've been told not to. It cost that valedictorian last year who had his mic cut off in the middle of his graduation speech because he called the name of Jesus. It will cost us something. If it's not costing us something, then we stand for nothing. Is it costing us anything? The name of Jesus is going to and will continue to be divisive. Not in meanness or judgment, but to speak the truth in love in a time where darkness is reigning and Satan is the prince of the air. We're going to stand for the king of kings and it will cause division. And when we stand our ground in love in the name of Jesus, unify the body of Christ, stand against the world. It will cost you something or it's not worth anything. So besides the name of Christ dividing and bring it, uh, bringing unity to the body of Christ, dividing from the, the world, the third thing I see here is when you use the name of Jesus, it bears fruit. I mean, listen to what Paul says happened here. It's fascinating in Acts, all the things that happened that when they let him go, when they unleash Paul, he goes to town. It says that he starts going from city to city, non-Christian cities, which is fascinating. And it says this. Listen to what happens. He spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists and they sought to kill him. There's the division that Paul brings. They want to kill him now. They send him back to his home city. But listen to the fruit. So the whole church, this is now the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say the synagogue, which Paul was from. He's now part of the church. Throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Did you hear that? Does that sound familiar? Paul went through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. You know why? Because at the ascension, Jesus Christ said, go and make disciples in Judea, in Galilee, and Samaria. He's following the playbook. He's a good, a good running back. He knows to follow the plan. He knows the plays. And listen to what happened in the church. Listen to the fruit. They had peace, and they were being built up, and they were walking in fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they multiplied. That's fruit. That's what fruit looks like. That's what happens when we bear the name and speak the name of Jesus Christ. We bear fruit. There's a young lady that her parents weren't real big on church, and they, she used to just go to church with her friends. The, the, the Doge kids or the Johnson kids, they would just come and go to vacation Bible school or come to Sunday school. Then she started coming to A&O, and even though her family wasn't really into it, she, she started coming to, to church and A&O and on her own, and then... Last week, she told Anna, our youth minister, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. And I, I want to be baptized in your church. I want, I want what you have. And 
And then she, now she's going to be baptized sometime here in October, and she joined our worship service over to A and O, and she's going to follow Jesus. She's going to stand in front of her friends and proclaim the name of Jesus. That, that's fruit. What does our fruit look like? Let's just look at that list that Paul names there. It's kind of like a checkup. I go to Dr. Welchel and I get my lab work, my blood, and then he sends me back this, this checkup and I kind of see where I am healthy-wise, spiritually. Well, let's look at this checkup on churches and on our personal life from, from this list, the signs of a healthy church that Paul gives us when he goes out. First, it has peace. Are we a church of peace? I mean, yeah, we fight over budgets and committees and politics and neighbors next door and this and that, but she doesn't say we're not going to have conflict. The question is, will we work through conflict and reconcile and be a church of peace? Do people look at us and say, those people stick together? Are we a church of peacemakers? Secondly, are we being built up? Instead of running each other down after Sunday school class or in the parking lot after a meeting or, or on the phone or gossiping or this person did that or that, are we a church that's building one another up? We have a contract that Howard wisely put into our, our employment here. We cannot speak against another person without going to that person. If anyone in the church comes to us about another person, we say, you go talk to that person. We're not going to let Satan tear us down. Are we building people up or are we just tearing people down? It's so easy to tear down. Building's the hard work. The other healthy, healthy sign here, good labs, is a fear of the Lord. Do we fear the Lord? Do we fear what happens if we don't lift up the name of Jesus? What happens if we don't honor Jesus in our home, in our work, in our marriages, in our families? Do we have the fear? Not a good, the good, healthy fear that God is holy and therefore we should be holy. And the next one is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed there's not much comfort lately? Her, Harvey, Maria, Jose, I mean, Puerto Rico, Houston, it, it, it goes on and on. Does it feel like the world's falling apart? Earthquake after earthquake, signs in the heavens, wildfires. People are panicked. Is this the end? There's more interest in the end times than there's ever been in the history of the world. People are afraid. But guess what scripture says? Do not be afraid. Fear not. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. God says, I got it all. I got it, I got it all figured out. Watch and wait. Pray. Do we have comfort here in the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to be people of fear? Not enough money. Not enough people. Can't be done. Or are we going to fear the Lord and be comforted by the Holy Spirit? It's going to be okay. Guess what the end of this book says? We win. <laughs> We win. And finally, it says the church multiplied. It's our church multiplying, not numbers, not budget, not new buildings. Disciples. Are we seeing more and more disciples? One of the greatest joys I have of being a part of this wonderful congregation is some smart youth minister years ago, Tim Tam, Cody Graham, Stu, I don't know who, but someone decided that we're going to take our high school students that are juniors and seniors and we're going to train them in discipleship and they're going to do ministry to middle school kids. It is so fun right now. We have 12 high school students who are cheerleaders and football players and valedictorians and swimmers, and they have these heavy schedules, and they show up at Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock, and they stay till 9.30 or 10, discipling middle school kids and then being with their friends, and they're producing disciples. And I know this church will keep calling the name of Jesus because of that kind of ministry. I didn't come up with the ideal. It's right here. But that's what happens to a healthy church that's naming the name of Jesus. There's my question for you. There's my challenge. 
In the name of Jesus, are you refusing to fight and be in conflict and live in broken relationships? Are you and I going to be uniters in the name of Jesus and refuse to let God, let, let Satan split us away from God with pettiness, with politics, with simple things that won't matter when Jesus comes back? Number two, are you willing to be different? Lose status, lose power, lose money, lose coolness, lose boyfriends, lose family members for the sake of Christ? Because it does cost. And So here's the question. Do you know your place? First of all, do you know that you are out of place and I am out of place unless Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? I am out of place with God. I don't have a place in heaven. But here's the good news. Peter says it like this in the book of Acts. It says, And there is salvation and no other name under heaven among by which men must be saved. Do you know that Jesus Christ gave up his place in heaven to take your place and my place on the cross? so that you could have a place in eternity and a place now in his kingdom. Do you know your place? Have you named the name of Jesus as your Savior? And for those of us that claim we have, do we, <laughs> do we realize that he is the King of kings and there is no other? Are we a part of his kingdom? Are we willing to fight and march and die for him? There's a very, very famous series going around. It's all about kingdoms and thrones and this one throne and seven kingdoms. It is swept through our culture. I can't recommend it because of the graphicness, but I can tell you it's point all the way through. It says, will you bow the knee? Will you bow your knee to the true king? Will you pledge your sword to the true king? And scripture says the same thing. In fact, Philippians 2, 10 to 11, it says it like this. Paul says, there will be a time We're all worried about the end times and signs in the sky and when's Jesus coming? Well, guess what? He's coming. And when he comes, the scripture says this. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That means that at the end of time, every single human that's ever lived in the past, every single human that's alive now, every single human that's going to be alive, when the name of Christ is called by the Holy of Hosts, we will fall on our knees, some out of obedience and some out of abject fear and horror, but you will bend the knee. How about you believers? Are you bending your knee? Am I bending my knee, refusing to divide the body of Christ, refusing to be like the world and be willing to be different, refusing to not have fruit? Will you bend the knee? Will you pledge your sword, your life to the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Will you fight in his army? Will you find your place? That's our prayer for you.